Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Happy Memorial Day! Summer is here! It is time. It is hard for me to believe that, but also not hard because life seems to move very quickly. I hope you guys did something fun for Memorial Day weekend. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And now's the time, if you don't already know what your summer plans are, make some summer plans. My top suggestion for summer plans is to grab a ticket for the Wellness Realness Retreat 2019. It's going to be a blast. It's here in San Diego, July 26th through 28th. It is going to be the wellness weekend of your dreams. You will get to know like-minded individuals. You'll get to hang out with me. We are going to do all of the health and wellnessy things. We're going to get nutrient drips, vitamin shots, acupuncture, go on a hike, yoga class, eat a ton of delicious food. I have a few of my favorite restaurants catering like Powerhouse Pizza and Peace Pies and Parakeet Cafe. And Kelly Scott from Kelly's Clean Kitchen is going to cook us a homemade meal. We're going to do group Reiki. We are going to have some workshops about nutrition and body image and self-love and we're going to get real deep. I can promise you it will be an unforgettable weekend and you will leave feeling enlightened, refreshed, and like you found your people. It's hard for me to describe. You should ask some of the ladies who came last year because I just think it is such an incredible experience. And I cannot wait to share this experience with more of you and meet more of you in person. If you want to grab a ticket, there are limited spaces available and a very limited number of VIP tickets, which gets you a one-on-one session with me while you're here. But you can go to bit.ly slash wellness realness 2019. That's bit.ly slash wellness realness 2019. It's also in the show notes and on my website and in the link in my Instagram bio. That's where you'll get tickets and where you can read all the details about what the retreat entails and what's included. Honestly, if you want to make your summer the best summer ever, you need to be at this retreat. Also, you're going to receive an epic swag bag. You guys know I don't skip on this and some of my favorite brands are contributing. Also, if you're curious about what the retreat is sort of like, you should go back to my highlights on my Instagram page, and I have a highlight of the retreat last year in Austin, which was amazing. But these swag bags are stocked, and you're going to want all of these products. You guys know how serious I am about 
really good products. Speaking of which, one of the companies I am partnering with on the retreat, of course, and a few other fun things that might be coming up soon, wink, wink, is Ned. In today's podcast, my guest and I discuss a bit about hormones, balancing hormones, and also the emotional component of healing, which is very much tied in with stress and anxiety and depression and just our body's overall meeting homeostasis because emotional health, mental health is very much connected to physical health. And Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil has a wide variety of uses. You can use it as a sleep aid. It can help with insomnia. It can act as an anti-inflammatory. I know a lot of people who have autoimmune disease find this to be very, very helpful with their inflammation, including myself, and a natural pain reliever if you deal with chronic pain. But it is really helpful for people who struggle with anxiety, depression, PTSD. I notice a huge difference in my overall feelings of balance when I use this regularly as I always do now and it's also a rich source of antioxidants and it's been shown to help in the treatment of a number of serious chronic conditions everything from epilepsy to Parkinson's Alzheimer's I've talked about this before as well but it's great for female hormones if you have tricky periods it can really help just to balance out your system First of all, Ned doesn't call the product CBD because technically only pharmaceutical companies can use that term. So they say their products are made from full spectrum hemp, which they are. Any companies that use the term CBD in their packaging are actually violating FDA. So there's that. But also Ned's products don't contain just CBD. They contain the CBD, aka cannabidiol and also a range of other phytocannabinoids. So you're getting a full range of compounds. You're getting the CBG, the CBC, CBDA, CBGA, and that's really the power of a full-spectrum hemp oil. It's that entourage effect. That's what makes hemp so healing. You're getting the full spectrum of active cannabinoids versus other brands who just have CBD isolates, and CBD isolates are a lab-isolated compound. They're in a white powder form, and they're stripped of all of those other phytocannabinoids that really help the full-spectrum hemp work so well. Not to mention that the only ingredients in Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil are the CBD and range of phytocannabinoids, as well as non-GMO MCT oil. You'll find that a lot of other CBD products on the market contain different fillers, flavors, inflammatory oils, and they're just not of the highest quality. Ned only extracts from the hemp flowers, also known as the buds, whereas other brands will often extract from the stalks and seeds. And they also only use a gentle, slow ethanol-based extraction method done at room temperature. A lot of other companies will use high heat and high pressure. That's really going to compromise the profile of the hemp flower. And you're just not going to get as high of a cannabinoid content, which is unfortunate because you're probably paying a good amount for it. 
be aware of people who are trying to scam you on the market. They also go a step further and they energetically infuse all of their products with binaural beats, positive affirmations, and happy vibes, which truly makes a complete difference in the product. And their farmer, Kurt, has really honed in on the ideal strain for maximizing cannabinoid density, terpene content, and the overall integrity of the plant. And you can taste the difference. You can also feel the difference because people often tell me that CBD does nothing for them. And then I ask them, what brand did you use? And a lot of people figure out that once they switch to NED, it actually is effective because it's legit. NED's full-spectrum hemp oil will not get you high. It is a major non-psychotropic. So don't worry about that. This is just the highest quality stuff out there. It's all small batch, slow-crafted, made from organic, whole, natural ingredients, and I use it every single day. I use a dropper of the 750 milligram every evening. Sometimes I use it in the morning as well. I recommend starting with the 300 milligram dose, and then you can increase if you need more. But it's helped me so much just stay calm and even throughout the day. It helps me when I'm feeling especially stressed out or anxious. If my mind is racing and I feel like I might not be able to sleep very well, my sleep is great with this. Also has helped a ton with balancing out my hormones. That includes all hormones. So everything from cortisol to sex hormones. So if you want to try out Ned's products, just go to helloned.com and you can find them all there. They have their line of full spectrum hemp oil. They also have their body butter and some delicious hemp infused lip balms. I cannot recommend this enough and just hearing the testimonials of how this product, this one product has changed so many people's lives, makes me so happy and I love the men behind the brand. Rhett and Adrian are incredible. They just have such integrity and they're in this for the right reasons and I adore the product. So make sure you head there, check it out, and you can also use my discount code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S. That will get you 15% off of any NED products. So again, go to helloned.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. Speaking of balancing hormones, let's talk about today's podcast guest. Today I'm chatting with my friend Vivica Menegas. She is from The Nourished Caveman. If you guys aren't already following her on Instagram or don't know about her blog or her books, you gotta check them out. Vivica is a hormone specialist. She is a keto nutritionist. She uh, focuses on a keto paleo approach for women. She is also the creator of the Healing Foods Method Transformation Program. And she is the published author of three cookbooks. Keto Paleo Kitchen, The Everything, Big Book of Fat Bombs, and The Ultimate Paleo Cookbook. Vivica is one of the sweetest people I know. She's so intelligent and has been working with clients for a long time and really understands the nuances of of the science behind nutrition and how the body works and female hormones specifically. If you guys have been with me for a while, back in the day when I first did my stint on the carnivore diet, before I got into it, um, you know, she was, we were talking about it because she was trying it too and with one of her clients at the time. And we were just talking about the right and the wrong way to do it. And one of the things I love about her is that anything that she recommends to a client, she will do herself first. She loves to experiment. She experiments with everything. She's tried it all. 
And she has a pretty incredible health journey herself, which we will get into in this episode. And I love that she is so science and research based, but also she pays a lot of attention to and puts a lot of focus on the emotional trauma aspect of things and what's going on beneath the surface in our energy and our souls. And she takes a very holistic approach, which I love. And we get into a discussion of sort of feminine identity, I suppose. And I think it's a really interesting conversation. Anyways, I adore Vivica and I'm obsessed with her cookbooks. Keto Palo Kitchen has some amazing recipes in particular and you can always find more from her on her blog, thenourishedcaveman.com. I'm very excited for you guys to hear this, so let's go ahead and hop into this conversation with Vivica. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to finally chat with you. I feel like I'm surprised we haven't done this before because we've been friends for a while now. But I would love, could you just go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience in case they're not familiar with you? Okay. Um, so I'm Vivica and I am a keto nutritionist. Um, I'm a nutritionist. I've been using the ketogenic diet for about five years now. I use my version of it, which is called Keto Paleo, which is basically a nutrient-dense ketogenic diet for healing because I work with a lot of clients that need healing at multiple levels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I really came to nutrition through my well personal healing journey as well and had to resolve a lot of my own health concerns. And so the more I was presented with challenges with myself, the more I was able to learn and then share with my clients and, you know, with my audience. So I'm also a cookbook author. I have three cookbooks under my belt, but kind of moved on from there. I feel like I have kind of moved on from the world of recipes, although I still like to eat them. (laughs) Don't we all? Don't we all? Um. Well, I would love if you could talk a little bit more about your own personal health journey. Like, what were the health concerns you were trying to address? So, it started actually very early. Like, in my mid-20s, I started having these crazy pains in where I thought I was breaking, broke a rib or, you know, like, somebody stabbed me in the back and I didn't notice. Um, And it took me a few years of this, like, pain attacks that like I thought were like skeletal muscular to find out that I had gallbladder disease. So my gallbladder was like the first thing that showed up and started making problems. Um, It was like 25, 26. And I had gallbladder attacks regularly for like almost 10 years. I started working with a chiropractor who does nutrition in order to help with that. And with this help and the supplements and, you know, adjustments and everything I was able to manage it but I never really got to resolve it in fact like you know he had no idea about diet he didn't give me any you know detoxes to do it was just like here take the supplements and avoid eating too much fat and that was it Um, so that was really the beginning because when I came to nutrition like I was already like trying to take things in my own hands, as we often do, you know, when we're faced to a health condition that we find no help. And I had gone to the emergency room a couple of times. Luckily, they didn't try to take my gallbladder. 
it was actually out of the country. That's why. <laughs> okay. But my mom and my grandma gave up their gallbladders to doctors. I refused to do so. I'm kind of like a little doctor phobic myself. Mm. So I was like determined to get to the bottom of the matter. And then serendipitously, one day <clears throat> I met this woman who is a, another chiropractor and started, she started to do nutrition in her practice and she asked me to go work for her and to study nutrition with her. And that's Dr. Deborah Penner in Chico. I always give her a shout out because she's amazing. <laughs> and she was my first incredible mentor and really like kind of pushed me kicking and screaming into nutrition. <laughs> so I started working on my gallbladder, did four detoxes in a year. And after that, my gallbladder was like squeaky clean and happy and never pretty much other the people ever since. Um, and like, done resolved but then at that point I was older so it was like in beginning of 40s and I started feeling perimenopause coming on strong um I also was doing you know nutrition in the style of western price founding doctors of nutrition so all the nutrient dense foods I was teaching cooking classes and you know thinking I was doing so good but then I started getting weight and then my periods got more and more and I started having fibroids and I didn't understand I couldn't figure it all out yet because I was still studying and I found you know I research about so I one day I found out I was pre-diabetic and that was like probably one of my another like slap in the face moments you know like you're a nutritionist and you're pre-diabetic something is not right so that's the moment that I found the ketogenic diet, researching ways to reverse insulin resistance. And I got really intrigued. And at that time, it was like six years ago, there was almost no material, like just a couple of bloggers were doing it. There was Jimmy Moore, there was Maria Emmerich. And like, that was kind of it. And then some obscure old books. But I dove right in and I guinea pigged myself and I had amazing results with that. I felt totally in love with keto from the beginning. Um, within, I had pretty bad insulin resistance. You wouldn't think because I wasn't even that overweight. I was like maybe 30 pounds over my ideal weight, uh, which is not a lot. But like it took me forever to reverse it like a year of being really strict keto and working out, you know, and just like my blood sugars did not come down for so long. So that was another thing. And at the same time, I had fibroids. So I had to start dealing with those. And as I was doing testing, I started working with another mentor who is another um, doctor of nutrition. And she's a herbalist, Dr. Rhonda Nelson. She is incredible, and she taught me so much. She does restorative endocrinologist, and she's just like the guru of endocrinology for women. That is, you know, now we call it functional endocrinology, so it's a little different, you know, than what we used to call it, but it's basically an approach for healing your endocrine system instead of using hormones to override the function. So you really understanding hormonal function and rebalancing the hormones and this is all hormones so insulin of course was already on my radar but then you know female hormones started to be in my focus and that's when I found out the next nice surprise which was that I was hypothyroid and had Hashimoto's wow <laughs> <Yippee>! like <laughs> <"Wah!"> <laughs> what else yeah 
<laughs> so that I started working with my mentor to resolve that. And like, again, I was a pretty resistant case, but again, refused medication, a medical route. So I just dug in with my keto paleo and see how do I modify the diet to like be supportive of my hormonal balance? How do I navigate perimenopause? What do I do with my thyroid? And so it was this whole juggling act. And that's what I kind of started specializing in with my clients because I saw so many women with the same profile, you know, it's like female hormones, adrenal, almost burnout, and then the thyroid goes down and, you know, same thing over and over. <clears throat> so that became my field of specialty for the last three, four years. I really focused on that. And I, you know, took a specialization course in thyroid uh, with my mentor. I did a lot of work on thyroids. And um, I finally kind of got it all like pretty good and felt really good. And then like menopause hit. <laughs> And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm now navigating menopause and like there has been a lot of chaos in my life, like personal life after I divorced. So the stress has been really high. Mm -hmm. And I see it from a lot of my clients, like our life as modern women is like really stressful. A lot of people that are out there and you want to have a business and you want to have children I don't even have kids I don't even know how some women do it but you have your own business you have kids you have a husband you have life to manage and then yourself and so your adrenals are just not designed to keep up with all of that and that sends you into these all crazy cascades of hormonal dysfunction so as I do that in my life you know I navigate that with my clients yeah. Okay. I have a lot. I have a lot of questions from that story. You have quite a story. I want to, <laughs> let me start back at the beginning with the gallbladder issues. What do you think yeah. was the root cause of the gallbladder issues? So I really think that there is something to be said for genetic predisposition, even though I am a super firm believer in epigenetics. And so I know that our DNA, I always say the DNA is not the Rosetta Stone. It's not like, you know, frozen in time. Our DNA is another molecule of the body that can be um, <clears throat> changed. It's a living thing. So we can make modifications on the way that our genes express themselves. Nevertheless, you know, I think partly is because we grow up in the same way that our parents maybe eating the same food with the same mindset and you know we also inherit their you know genetic um what do you call it um inheritance mm -hmm. but that's definitely part of it and of course lifestyle and you know the combination of both and also there is definitely a predisposition in certain women to be estrogen dominant which can so estrogen dominance, diet, and genetic predisposition, I think, are the three ingredients that make up like this Molotov cocktail that sets off your gallbladder. Mm -hmm. Can you explain more about how estrogen dominance is related to gallbladder issues? Yeah, uh, it's very simple. The high when you have when you have high estrogen in the body, it will thicken your bile. Mm -hmm. So it's just the presence of too much estrogen in your cells, in your body in general, will condense your bile, kind of almost dehydrated, mm -hmm. but make it 
thick. Instead, like think about toothpaste instead of water. So the bile should be thin and running like a liquid, like water. And then it can do all the functions, but also it can flow through your liver and get, you know, concentrated in the gallbladder and just flow right out like a little stream. But imagine trying to push toothpaste down a stream. It's not going to work so good. It's going to get stuck everywhere. And that's what it does, the bile. So it gets stuck in the bile ducts. So it congests our liver. And then our liver gets even more burdened. And it starts this kind of vicious cycle. Because I, I can go on. Do you want me to go into this rabbit hole? Or- yeah, go for it. I love a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this typical catch-22 with hormones is that when you have... Um, high estrogen kind of starts, you know, we don't know what's the chicken, what the egg, Um, but high estrogen and thicker bile, and then the liver gets congested by this thick bile and the inability to properly do the functions and a number of other things. But that makes so that the estrogen is then not detoxed out into the body, out of the liver, through the intestines and all of that. So it starts bouncing back or, you know, through phase two of the liver detox, you know, that like things kind of bounce back in a not so healthy way because the toxins are partially conjugated or, you know, they're not fully neutralized, let's say. And so do the hormones. And then we have this nasty, vicious cycle where, like, the more estrogen bounces back, the more thick the bile gets. Fantastic English today, you guys. (laughs) Forgive me. It's a bad English day. (laughs) I love it. It's fine. (laughs) And and so we get into the situations where, like, if you look at it, so many women have gallbladder problems. And if they knew where to look, they'll know they're estrogen-dominant. Mm-hmm. And you can just look at a lot of them and their shape. And they're the kind of women that accumulate um, adipose tissue mostly in their belly and their hips. And then they'll have gallbladder issues. Mm-hmm. And those, when you associate also like a mineral imbalance to the picture and you add like a calcium magnesium imbalance where like, or phosphorus deficiency or excess phosphorus, but your minerals are pretty much like out of whack, which happens a lot, then you might have extra calcium deposits or phosphorus deposits, which start crystallizing and creating kind of the seed of stones. And that's when people get gallbladder stones. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. I think it's, I mean, it's interesting because I think a lot of people think, um, you know, poor gallbladder function leads to hormone issues. It's just true, but also the hormone imbalances can also lead to the poor gallbladder function. Um, mm-hmm. So, moving on to you being diagnosed as a pre-diabetic. So, did I hear this correctly that you were? How are you? How are you eating when when that diagnosis came? I was eating nutrient-dense paleo, let's call it. So I lived on a homestead, and I was making most of my own food, like gardening and, like, preserving. We had animals, we had eggs, and we had, like, local beef. It was, like, the best quality food possible. But guess what? There was, like, a lot of fruit. You know, we had a ton of fruit trees, so we preserved fruit, and then we had, like, tons of peaches and plums and pluots and, you know, and berries. And, like, and also I baked a lot, like, gluten-free baking. Mm -hmm. And at the point, like, 
I was, and I drank wine. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Like, it was wine. Like we had so many beautiful dinners. It was this lovely little community with my mentor and she lived really close to me. And so we like, you know, I have animals and then make these big dinners and I have wine and the neighbors. And I thought it was like the best life possible. But evidently there was like way too much sugar in that life for me, you know. It's so interesting because, I mean, a nutrient-dense paleo diet is still generally much lower in carbohydrates than the standard American diet, but that still was enough for you to be pre-diabetic. Do you think that was sort of an anomaly for you, or do you think for, do you think most people need to be concerned about their, like, fruit intake and, like, nutrient-dense carbohydrate intake? So I think there are a couple of components here. And one, again, is family, you know, genetics, because my maternal grandfather actually died of diabetes complications. Mm. And it was a type 2 diabetic. And now I suspect his whole family because they were like pretty overweight. And for being Italians, Italians don't get so big usually, but they were big people. Um, So there is that. And he sure loved sweets and fruit. Um, So there is a little bit of that genetic thing going on. And also, I feel like it's part is like the level of insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity of your muscles. So that's why, you know, I have a carb tolerance test on my blog, because we all have different levels of carb tolerance or intolerance. And that's mean, that means that for some people, like athletes, where they're very lean muscle mass and their muscles burn a lot of sugar, you know, a lot of glycogen, and they can be even like eating just a paleo diet, like, you know, a swimmer or a runner, they will like be so insulin sensitive, they can be in ketosis at like 100 grams of carbs a day, okay. literally. You know, and I have a friend in LA who works with athletes and he does, he has a keto company and he, he caters to athletes. And he's like, those it's huge and pounds of muscle and like 150 grams and they'll pop into ketosis. So I was definitely not that person. <laughs> Plus, let's go back to hormones, you know, because hormones for women, they're always like in there. It's like in Italy, we say it's like prezzemolo. You know, prezzemolo is like parsley. We put it in everything. You're like, you're like parsley. You're everywhere. <laughs> so the hormones are like the parsley of women's body. <laughs> True. <laughs> right? So when you're estrogen dominant, then there is this correlation between estrogen and insulin. And it will reduce your insulin sensitivity being estrogen dominant. So again, and you know, and at the cell receptor level, we have different receptors for different hormones, but there is always also a kind of a crossover a little bit. And when one receptor gets really overloaded by like, you know, it becomes resistant. What does that mean anyways? Resistant means that there is too much of that hormone just like kind of knocking at the door all day long. And the receptor is finally like desensitized by that over influx of the hormone. So there is this cross correlation between um, receptors. So when you are um, estrogen dominant and you will become estrogen resistant as well in the cells, then there is a predisposition for insulin resistance and vice versa. When you're already insulin resistant, then you can become more estrogen resistant and dominant. 
Okay. So one thing that people don't easily understand is like all these little fine correlations between the systems, amongst the systems of our body, but everything really works together. So when you look at somebody's health or like my own, you can't just say, oh, so here's the diabetes or prediabetes, here are the female hormones and here's the thyroid. And like, we'll treat them separately. Cause like, it's like a big tangled mass of yarn where like, you can't detangle that. It just can't. They're all working together. Yeah, that's very true. I think that's why it all gets very complicated and why you, I mean, you specialize in hormones. It can be a very tangled web for sure. Um, so let's move into then the next part was sort of finding keto. Um, and tell me about your approach with keto, um, like keto, like paleo keto. Tell me how you discovered that. Well, so when, like I say, when I first found keto, the first kind of keto diet that I found out there was like, it wasn't even called keto, but there was this doctor selling this kind of diet for like resetting metabolism and insulin resistance. And it was a low fat, low carb Mm. and kind of starvation diet, like under 900 calories. And like, I started studying that way of eating and trying to crack the nut and understand what it was doing and the effects. But then very quickly, I saw that it was like a diet low in nutrients. But I started looking at the mechanisms of reversing insulin resistance. And so, and what ketosis actually brought to the scene, like there is this whole other metabolism. What are the benefits? Why do we have this secret kind of like really cool like B program that is hidden in our body and we didn't even know about it and it's there and we're like wow we're like superheroes you know we can be in ketosis and survive for months without eating like so I really dug into that to study what does ketosis bring to the body and like should we just restrict carbs and get into ketosis? Do we need to be in ketosis? What is the difference between being in ketosis versus being keto-adapted? And, like, uh, what does keto-adaptation really mean? And what are the benefits of that? You know, so there are all these different layers to it. What I found, long story short, because this took a couple of years of, like, experimentation, and, you know, I use my patients as guinea pigs. <laughs> In a good way, though, because like, I, <laughs> they're willing, okay, and not to push things on them that they don't want to do. But I've always shared with them, like, my theories, and I'm like, should we try this? And then they tell me, like, yeah, I want to try this. So like, no, I don't think this is for me. So we figure things out together, you know, in, on real people. But this is a great way to have some clinical experience because this is on real people, not on monkeys or rats or poor little rabbits. And so what I found is that for my case and like resolving my case, we need some, we need fat to bring nutrition. Fat is really important. So just restricting carbs and restricting fat and doing that version of a starvation diet, I call it. So it's a low calorie diet, low fat, low calorie. It doesn't really work. You know, so what I found at the end was that eating the way I was eating, but eliminating all the sugars and most of the carbs, you know, um, and then there is the whole thing about fiber. We can get into that in a second, but it's a whole other planet. 
<laughs> Welcome to Planet Fiber. Yeah, we're we're gonna get into it. Keep going though. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just kind of went back to square one with my beliefs because I really believed in the findings of Dr. Weston Price and I saw the benefits. But then again, there was some things were not adding up for me. Like, for example, the dairy was not adding up because when I was eating dairy, the hormone thing happened to me. We had a cow share. Um, We were getting like grass fed, pastured, beautiful, organic, amazing dairy, like fresh milk, raw milk, raw cheese. It was like I had to cut that out. When I did a detox, I cut that out. And just in like three weeks without dairy, I saw the difference and I was like, wait a minute. You know, there is something to this. So I just had to go dairy free. When I started keto, I also went dairy free and went full paleo because before nutrient dense, you know, Western Price uses dairy. Mm-hmm. And then I was dabbling in paleo and like starting to restrict the dairy. But then I went, when I went keto, I really eliminated it for a, a long time. And that's when the changes really started happening in my body. Okay. And a lot of patients ask me, like, why do you do keto without dairy? Is that necessary? Is that for everybody? And Dairy is so yummy, delicious, amazing, convenient, you know, fun. But I have honestly not seen maybe like of like 150 patients that I did my program with, maybe two people where they could reintroduce dairy right after and be fine. And the rest of them, they were either off of it completely or like having, you know, really minimal. And again because most of my cases are hormonal cases mm-hmm. so they asked me like why does dairy interfere with female hormones and like I always find the greatest research and then forget to save it <laughs> like can't find it anymore it's like I'm really bad with that but I think that there is a lot of good research out there and like I know Mark Sisson has um, a lot of good resources on his blog about dairy and why dairy has you know, it's not good for everybody. Mm-hmm. But my theory is that it just interferes with our hormones as women. And the hormones contained in the milk are very powerful. And even if they're grass-fed and the happiest cows in the world, they're still designed to raise baby cows. They're not designed for adult humans, mm-hmm. especially females. So there is that delicate balance there. Now, I actually had recently found a piece of research that talked exactly about that. I need to go dig it out wherever I tuck it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, but also even beyond just like the hormonal effects, we just see inflammation, you know? Yeah, of course. And like congestion and mucus accumulation and, you know, sensitivity to the protein. And then there is a sensitivity to lactose. There is the sensitivity to casein, you know. So there are multiple little facets, multiple little issues that can come about with the dairy. But for me, the most important one is it messes up your hormones. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of hands down. With goat, is a little better. So usually if I want really somebody is really needing, wanting, must have, then go to goat. Goat is a small animal. It's much more similar to human milk. And it will like probably, you'll be okay, you know, with a little bit of that. 
We're going to take a brief pause for a second because I want to tell you guys about one of my favorite companies when it comes to clothing, and that is Lively. If you are not familiar with Lively already, they have perfected what they call leisure, which is a combination of lingerie and leisure. I found out about Lively a couple years ago when I was in LA when I used to work for Jordan Younger and she turned me on to the brand and my life changed because their lingerie is so cute and so comfortable and fits every body type and I just became obsessed and now that's where I get all of my bras and underwear. They also have amazing loungewear and really cute comfortable swimsuits And it's that time of year, so I highly recommend checking these out. I love that Lively offers bras and underwear that kind of blur the aesthetic lines of lingerie, active, and swim. They take the best elements of style and functionality from each of those categories to create the most comfortable but also cutest lingerie, as they say, that you will ever own. The fabric they use is the softest fabric I have ever felt in my life and it fits like loungewear but they have really cute details on them so you'll be really comfortable all day long which is what I want. I feel like I'm just in just the most comfortable sports bra ever but it's functional and they have so many different styles that will fit all of your needs. That's another thing I love about Lively is that they have a wide range of styles and sizes for every body type. So they have sizes from 32A to 44 triple D and you can get bralettes, t-shirt bras, push-up bras, plunge bras, no wire bras. Every category you will find your new favorite pieces. It's also one price for all. So they charge one price for all women, any style, color, or size Unlike other companies that might charge more for certain sizes or styles or colors. And I'm just so impressed with this company because they're so innovative and they create products that I think a lot of us just thought would never work. Like their no-wire strapless bra and their busty bralettes, both of which sold out so quickly for good reason. I have been shocked by these products. Their no-wire strapless bra, honestly... I have no words obsessed with it and I just love that they're pushing boundaries and basically creating all the products all of us women are dying to have and providing options for women of all sizes and shapes. Like I said, I have been wearing lively leisure. I just love that. For a few years now and I will never go back because they're so comfortable but also so cute. So I have favorites from a lot of different categories because you know you got to get different bras for different shirts and different moods but some of the options that just first got me hooked on this company were the mesh trim no wire it's a really comfortable no wire bra I try to wear wireless bras as often as possible and they're they're wireless bras you would never know don't have a wire like they're very supportive um and I love that the mesh trim no wire has some cute detailing and a deeper v so you can wear it with like v-neck t-shirts I'm also obsessed with their t-shirt bra which is just a great everyday bra that you can wear with everything And their bralettes, these are what stole the show for me. I love, what are my favorites? I love their long-lined lace bralette and their mesh trim bralette. I'm very picky about bralettes and I wear these all the time. 
they're comfortable. You can't tell that you're wearing a bralette rather than a regular bra, like with when you have your shirt on. And they're so cute. I'm obsessed with them. And these bralettes are like, they're very supportive. You can go on the website and see women of all different sizes can wear these and they look and feel great. I cannot recommend all of Lively's options enough. I've never gotten something from there that I was not obsessed with. And the website is super easy to navigate so you can shop according to the style that you like. If you want something with no wire, if you want a bralette, if you want something strapless, it's all laid out really easy to use. So for a limited time, you can get $10 off your first order by visiting wearlively.com wellness and enter the code wellness at checkout. This offer is only available in the U.S., but if you're in the U.S., you are not going to want to miss out on this. So again, for a limited time, you can get $10 off your first order by visiting wearelively.com, W-E-A-R-L-I-V-E-L-Y.com slash wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, and enter my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, at checkout. And again, that's available for U.S. customers. Trust me when I tell you lively bras will change your life. They have changed mine. I am very passionate about this. So I'm excited for you guys to try too. All right, now that I've clued you in on some of my faves from lively, let's hop right back into this conversation with Vivica. Can we go to the fiber planet for a minute? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to go after it because this is a hot topic and I know you also, I mean, we talked about it um, mm-hmm. you know, we had, we had some phone calls talking about carnivore diet. And so I know you've done your own personal experiments and I want to know what you have concluded about the role of fiber in our diets. Is it necessary? Does it cause problems? Does it help? Tell me what you think about fiber. Actually, because we haven't chatted in a while and like, I know that you did your own experiment and like, we can compare conclusions. That's fun. Yeah, we can. So tell me, so tell me what you think. So what I found is like, there are two kind of scenarios and, you know, pro fiber against fiber. Why? Because I feel like there are really, if we want to put them in like really gross categories, you know, these are very rough categories, but either your microbiome has a profile that can still handle fiber or not anymore. And I have my personal theory of gut evolution, and this is like no, not clinically proven or studied or anthropology tested, whatever. It's just my theory. (laughs) But I feel like what happened with the evolution of the human and our food together. So we evolved for so many hundreds of thousands of years as hunter-gatherers, eating different foods depending where we were evolving on the planet, you know. Most of those foods were animal food at that point. But then with the onset of agriculture and people settling into villages and starting to cultivate, um, we started to modify, you know, our food supply and created this whole other, um, this load of foods that were like more carbohydrate and fiber rich. 
than what we originally ate. Because at the very beginning, we basically had just like some fruits, wild fruits, not very sweet and, you know, only seasonal. Then there was whatever plants, you know, greens or shoots or things that we can gather, but there wasn't a whole lot. We didn't go chomping around the raw wild grains as like, you know, uh, hunter-gatherers. There was a little bit of processing done, but it was minimal. So the bulk of our nutrients came from like animal foods, anything from bugs to mammoths, you know. but then agriculture came about. So what happened to our gut? When agriculture started, it was a slow process. So our guts, which are amazing, and our bodies are amazing, were able to adapt. And so they slowly, slowly caught up with the foods, the changing foods, and started to create a different microbiome, one that is adapted to the kind of foods that we found where we were living. And then now, you know, we're sedentary as humans in villages, in regions. So our guts developed with the foods that we were eating. And, you know, going back to Western price and original traditional diets, guess what? We know that traditional diets are, you know, there is a lot of fermentation. Why do you think things were fermented, grains were fermented? Because we could not digest them. So we needed the help of extra bacteria, but by fermenting them, the bacteria pre-digested it for us, but then we took those bacteria in our bodies. So we had the chance to be colonized by this whole new, you know, spectrum of bacteria that became our bodies now, and they help us break down the planet fiber. (laughs) So all this new uh, vegetable fiber that came in, because you know, plants use chemicals to protect themselves. There is a lot of talk of that in a carnivore world. They use phytochemicals instead of nails and claws and running. They protect themselves with like phytates or oxalates or, you know, lactins, all the stuff that you're hearing about nowadays. Those are not fit for human consumptions, really, you know. So our body has to do something with them and with the fiber. And if we have a wholesome flora in our gut where, like, the little guys in there can, like, go to work for us and break down that stuff and excrete it or, you know, the fiber needs to be fermented and then broken down and then, like, you know, happy poop made for it from it, <laughs> that will happen. But what happens when, you know, we adapted all the way there to agriculture and then guess what happened? That we took another crazy turn like a 360 almost or 180 and industrial foods came about and this is what we are eating nowadays for the last 50 to 60 years we have invented chemicals and everything that we eat today is like i would say maybe 80 percent of the stuff that we're eating today in america is not food Mm-hmm. <laughs> or is there is non-food elements in there? So those guys in our gut, imagine the minions. You know, I love minions. I'm super fan of them. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you have like this whole population of minions in your gut that are the workers that are breaking down, you know, your food and helping you absorb nutrients. And like they're working, working, working on all this stuff. And all of a sudden there is like this like, like alien materials coming in that they have never seen before. They don't know what to do with it. They're even toxic and the minions start dying, you know, and they start like going out of balance. So the crazy bad minions start, you know, becoming like prevalent. And 
so that's what dysbiosis is in your gut. And I feel like the more toxic we become and the more, the deeper we go into this industrial food, that's not, it's not an evolution, it's a devolution. <laughs> but the further we go in there, our body has lost the ability to adapt. It's just completely lost the ability to keep up with the crap we've been putting inside us. And so the minions are dying, the bacteria is off balance, and so when the fiber comes in, at that point, there is such chaos in there that, like, you, your, you know, your little crews that are supposed to deal with that fiber are not able to deal with it. They're just, like, they're all dead or, like, running around crazy or, you know. Okay. So we become dysbiotic to the point where we are not able to extract nutrients from vegetable matter, and we are not even able to process that vegetable fiber and do anything with it. So what happens, it just like does really bad things for our gut. Like it gets you super bloated or, you know, gives you indigestion, constipation. Everybody says, you need more fiber, you're constipating, more fiber. To some people, fiber is kryptonite. Yeah. And so what I saw doing the, the carnivore experiment on myself, because I had this one patient and she's like, I'm going carnivore. And I was like, ah, panic. Like, you can't do that without me doing that. I need to test everything before I give it to my clients. <laughs> so we jumped in together and was very interestingly, she did amazing. And after being super constipated for so long and we had tried everything, she was a practitioner. She's still a practitioner, by the way. And she went to work for Paleo Medicina in Hungary. Now that's how good you know, how passionate she became about carnivore because it saved her life, mm -hmm. you know. And in my case, I became super constipated. <laughs> and we, I tried to adapt because it takes one to three months for your gut flora to completely adapt. But after a month, my gut was just like, mm -mm, no, well, I don't like this. <laughs> so energy-wise, I did great. And, you know, body-wise, I did okay. Um I had no problem with animal food, but my microbiome was like, we really like that fiber, you know, and that ferments. And like, so because I had never eaten so bad or has used medication, I had too much toxicity with heavy metals or chemicals or eaten like long periods of time of like industrial foods. Luckily, my gut is still one that's adapted to uh, agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so for me, fiber is okay. Actually, I do need some fiber. Not too much, the right kind, you know. But I do better when I have my carnivore, but I also have my greens and my fermented foods. A lot of my clients, it's absolutely opposite. So you found that a lot of people are doing better with carnivore? If your gut is damaged enough, you might just need to do carnivore. What I have not seen yet with my clients, because we have not been doing it for more than maybe three, six months, is like, where do we go after? Is it going to heal? How long is it going to take to heal? Can we ever go back to veggies? Yes or no. So in my practice, I don't have that answer yet. But like my patients that have been on carnivore the longest has been probably six months. Mm -hmm. 
And what I've been seeing, and also one thing that I'm really curious about, um, is the research or clinical practical application of research of women with hormonal dysfunction and carnivore and how that affects them. Because I'm doing my own study right now with a few patients and see like how far we can take it. Do we need herbs? Or, you know, because when I do carnivores, I go off all supplements and it's just meat and water. But then, like, are we able to manage, for example, like, positive carnivore? Or, or do we need herbs to help with that? Like, you know, it's kind of, for me, a very interesting experimental field. And, like, I'm working with three or four patients right now who I've been working with for, like, about a year and a half been carnivore for the last five, six months, seven months, and maybe eight, some of them. So we're really like digging in there and seeing where it goes with the hormones, with the gut, healing, bringing back foods, like. Yeah, well, I, I want to talk more about hormones in a second, but just related. For you? Well, it went really well in terms of like, I was the most regular I've ever been in my life. Like my digestion was great. But I started getting, like, um, really bad nausea and head symptoms, and it was also related to, like, my CBS mutation, and I had, like, I developed ammonia toxicity, and my ferritin was off the charts, and um, I, like, I needed vegetables. I turned into a crazy person, so I stopped, but it helped my digestion. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess what I want to know is, did that, has that experience at all? change your opinion on protein intake a little bit yeah because i think that there has been this myth about protein um and keto that like protein kicks you out of ketosis i have never been in such high ketosis like when i was doing carnivore with like 30 percent protein Mm -hmm. zero carb 30 percent protein 70 percent fat And I was like in high ketosis and because of my liver mutations and, you know, my liver being what it is, um, I was never able to reach really high ketosis. So, you know, um, I think that I'm a big fan of protein. Protein is like my favorite thing. I prefer protein to fat even because protein is my sanity. And, like, I'm a very high-energy person and sometimes a little ungrounded because I'm so high-energy and, like, you know, always, like, running around. If I don't have protein, especially animal protein in my life, I go crazy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it really helps me keep my mind where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I eat red meat every day, sometimes two, three times a day, and I need that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel... Like I, at this point, I eat more intuitively because after, you know, five years of doing keto, you're like kind of can just eyeball it and I can check ketosis um, with my breath uh, ketonics. And I'm usually like the way I do it at this point is like I am like carnivore in the morning. So I usually have meat and eggs in the morning. Then I'll have meat and maybe a little bit of veggies at lunch and if I want to bring in more carbs, I'll do it at dinner so that by the next morning I'm back into ketosis and I can kind of add in and out of ketosis, but I'm probably not fully keto adapted anymore because like I've been like, you know, going 
into like different experimentation phases that I do with myself sometimes. So sometimes I try to like, I do bring back things and I'm like, okay, let's see. Like I've been good for this long. Let's see if I eat gluten, what happens? Like, let me eat gluten for a week and see, is my gut healed? Like what is happening? So I'm always using myself as a guinea pig. But in general, like where I know I feel the best is like eating my very simple keto paleo. You know, I vary my meats a lot and, you know, I have my greens. I cook them. I do good with raw greens as well for myself. And like the carbs, sometimes I have sweet potatoes, yams, you know, sometimes I have a cup of rice. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like crazy strict like before anymore. And now with like my hormones, like, so I did a gluten experiment when I was on vacation, very conveniently in Italy. (laughs) And I was like, it's my 50th birthday. I am going to eat whatever I want. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the place to do it, you know, when in Italy. Yeah, I know. And it's not so bad there. Like the food is really a lot cleaner. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my body was just like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. no (laughs) this is not working for you (laughs) you know so it's good to experiment and I know so I can test my boundaries and my limits of where is my optimal Mm -hmm. I feel like it's beneficial at some point even though when you're in a majorly healing phase and you're really starting from scratch and you're never like truly detoxed or healed before I would say don't experiment just heal Mm -hmm. And then, like, once you have done all the work in a year or two, then you can just, like, start to find those edges again. Yeah. Can you have normal ice cream maybe once a month? Sure. Is it going to give you repercussions? Maybe. It depends on you. And, you know, mm-hmm. but can be a food Nazi. Like, even keto, like, it, anything. It's just, like, listen to your body. <clears throat> Definitely. Um I want to talk a little bit more about keto and hormones because I think it's interesting, like, you know, you deal with women with thyroid issues, um, you've had, you've had your own thyroid issues and then, you know, you're talking about going, you know, going through menopause and stuff and I'm curious, do you think that ketosis just all around helps women with their hormones or do you think it depends where their hormonal state is because you have a lot of people who talk about how carbohydrates are necessary for thyroid health and like reproductive health for younger women so kind of what's your stance on that so I dug in into the research of the physiology of that statement and if you think about the physiology, the amount of carbohydrates needed for thyroid hormone conversion, which is supposedly the base of us saying, like, we need carbs to convert thyroid. No. <laughs> so you need enough carbs, so little carbs, that you can easily produce them yourself within the body. Just the same as your brain will produce the carbs and the glucose that it needs because the brain, even when fully keto-adapted, it still needs about 25% glucose to run. How do the carnivores survive then? You know, like they make their own glucose in your body, perfectly able to do so. So from that standpoint, I say that it is not the right reason. But I have seen that bringing in some carbs, like when your hormones 
are like, you know, you're adjusting your hormones is beneficial. And I, I found in perimenopause, maybe better than menopause. And it's in that phase where like your adrenals are switching, taking over the hormone production and the ovaries are kind of fading off slowly. There is where I found the most benefit of having, like we call them the carbops, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I am not entirely sure from the physiology to the mindset if this is like really a physiological need or sometimes it's just kind of like a mind need that we want that comfort of the carbs. Like we feel so comforted by a sweet potato that is relaxing you enough that your adrenals are like, (sighs) you know. Yeah. Because if you look at just the physiological part, I don't know if you, with your nutrition knowledge, have found anything that supports the physiology, strict physiology of carb loading. But, you know, it's... Well, I mean, there there are some studies that show, like, I mean, to support, like, thyroid conversion, you need X amount of carbohydrates from, like, glucose. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on... The person, I just see for so many women, like, long-term keto when they're younger leads to hormonal problems. Yeah, but you know what else I think? I think is that when they're, like, super low and they're trying to do, like, under 20 grams of carb keto, number one, and also under calorie because they want to be, like, super lean and so... I've been having this conversation with a dear friend of mine who's a, she's a model and she also does bodybuilding and she's 30 years old and she wants to reach a certain level of leanness for photo shoots and competitions and stuff like that. And I'm like, I look at her and I'm like, listen, you can do that. I can help you do that, but that's going to mess up your hormones. Mm -hmm. You know, right? Like there is hands down, women need a certain amount of fat on their body, at least like 20% for me, it's really honestly the minimum for like your hormones to be able to carburate, to really flow and be produced efficiently, especially Mm. under 30. It's so important, you know, because otherwise you end up with amenorrhea and all kinds of other hormonal problems and infertility. Mm -hmm. You just don't have the raw material for your body to just flow and all the cortisol we need these days like but you know you know about the pregnenolone steel pathways mm-hmm. so co- cholesterol makes our sex hormones but it also makes cortisol so when you have it like at a certain point it goes down to pregnenolone and then it splits in two and one side goes to cortisol and one side goes to estrogen and progesterone when your cortisol is so high all the time it will like kidnap the pathway pretty much and all your DHEA and all your cholesterol broken down into the different components, it all goes to cortisol so that you don't have enough to make estrogen and progesterone, especially progesterone is the one that gets the short end of the stick. And so if you don't have the precursors or, you know, you're like really pushing to be lean and you're doing keto, but you're not eating good amount of fats or enough fat. That's a big thing. Um, And the carbs, 
for me, they're kind of part of the equation. Like, I still feel like we do need, um, I don't think it's the, like I say, the thyroid conversion, but there is something in our physiology and maybe it, ha it has relationships with the glycogen insulin pathways and how that balances estrogen, you know. Um, I don't think there is a whole lot of research because keto is so new. And yeah. nobody really looks at women in those different hormonal phases because, like, endocrinology, man mainstream endocrinology is really, like, in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. So we would have to have, like, individually funded, like, you know, those new doctors that are coming out. There are a lot of really amazing doctors that are researching keto on themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, Jimmy Moore has, you know, had this great show talking with all these, like, different doctors who are doing research on themselves and experiments and, like, working with high protein, with keto. And that's awesome. But they're all guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Like women are not represented. First of all, we're not represented at all in, in studies. And then also at different times in our lives when our hormones are completely different. Like you can't say a postmenopausal woman is going to be the same as a woman in her reproductive years who's, who's younger, you know. But so I'm curious. So if a woman came to you and she's 25 and she has amenorrhea, would you have her go keto? So... I would probably start her out with like, <clears throat> I, I'm going to, I would start her out doing journals. That's what I do with everybody and see what her blood sugars are and how they vary. Cause that tells me a lot about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I would probably do blood work, um, a little kind of things to look at their thyroid and then I would do a saliva test to see where her hormones are because I want to see if she has enough hormones or if they're just wacko, yeah. you know, because like some women maybe have like super low hormone levels. Now, it's really important to know what those hormones are doing and why are the periods not coming? Because guess what? It could be at the hormonal level or it could be at the pituitary hypothalamus level. Mm -hmm. And then we can give her all the carbs and the fat in the world. It's still not going to work because she's got dysregulation in the HPO axis, mm -hmm. you know, or in the HPA axis. So those are all things that we really need to be aware of when it comes to, like, missing periods. Usually what I do is, like, I already know that, like, we're going to, like, first thing always unclog the liver like let's give your liver some breathing space so that those hormones start flowing again feed you a high nutrient diet mm -hmm. with like all the good precursor get your body to be able to break down those fats to make the precursors because like if you're eating 80 percent fat and your bile is as thick as you know a chewing gum <laughs> it's not gonna happen yeah very true uh you know, okay good to know well I think this is all kind of wrapped up into what we were talking about before we got on air um a kind of about deeper rooted um problems that women need to work through and I know you've kind of come to um this place where you really want to you know you, you already do but you're focusing so much more on like these deeper rooted issues and like I've kind of made the same turn um so I'd love for you to talk more about that and kind of what what you've learned more about these like inner stressors that women are dealing with and how that's affecting their health. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, for me, and I love that you're on the same page with that. This makes me really excited. Yeah. Um, but I, what I saw, like, you know, as, it's almost there was this whole refinement in my practice and in myself where like you go to like the smallest little things that are hormones small and really powerful so but like what trumps hormones and like hormones are like the regulators of the body they're so super powerful especially as women but like what controls the hormones you know and on one hand, it's like, yes, toxins for sure, you know, there is all the toxicity, but like, and then you go one level deeper and it's like, what really does let toxins in? How come person A is exposed to this and does absolutely nothing to her and person B is exposed to the same and completely wrecks her hormonal system or she gets, I don't know, uterine cancer or she gets amenorrhea, you know, A, B and C. So observing and, you know, really in my personal practice, plus with my clients, like we have so many amazing conversations. It teaches me so much just to be able to help people and, and, you know, and like co-create, collaborate with my patients in like their health and their healing journey. I started seeing that there are certain patterns of mindset and patterns of you know, thought, behavior that are underlying the way that we see ourselves as women. And it's one really interesting correlation that I found over and over is that trauma, especially early childhood trauma or, you know, early life sexual trauma will almost always lead into some sort of hormonal imbalance or, or you know, reproductive dysfunction. Um, but not just that. It's not just a physical trauma like abuse, even if it's not physical abuse, will lead to that, or self-image. And, like, <clears throat> the way that women are raised. And I know for myself, like, I was raised in a very negative female environment where, like, from my grandmother to my mother, you know, and my mother to me, like this sort of like negative self-image and like really like complete absence of self-worth was like instilled to me very deeply for, you know, the first 20 years of my life until I took off and never went back. And like, I know my mom is an amazing, beautiful soul and I love her to death and she's my, you know, great mom. But but that is not like her fault is what she was given and her circumstances, which comes to the bigger picture is like our role as women in the world and what's happening right now, I feel like we're all kind of tapped in into this field of like women movement, women awakening. But what does that mean? Because like we've been going, we went through feminism in like 60s and 70s. That didn't go well. (laughs) So we're here trying to find our voice, trying to find our place, trying to find our healing, trying to find balance in the world, balance with men and balance with ourselves but where does it all start and for me as a holistic practitioner at this point I'm really looking at the picture of is really focusing on women's health um, 
looking at the whole picture of our health and where does the core of our health reside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I keep studying and learning and studying, and I have a big passion for learning, but, you know, it's really led me to the core, to the center of the heart. And, like, for me, there is this whole movement about heart and, like, you know, empathy, and we're all empaths, and, you know, we need to heal the divine feminine, and it's all about the divine feminine movement and then the balance. How does that look like, though? Like, where does the empowerment begin and how do we empower ourselves without disempowering others? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like the deeper work that I've been doing and where I'm going more and more in like, as I practice that in my personal journey, as I stumble and fall and, you know, (laughs) crawl along in my personal journey. And, you know, I'm constantly humbled I'm just like I'm 50 years old and I know that my generation has specific challenges that are different from you for example you know because you were born already into a slightly different paradigm I think that we have it pretty hard because we are like almost the last generation I am the last generation that was born under this really patriarchal paradigm you know, and, and I was born in 68, like the spring of love and freedom. <laughs> like a lot was happening, but still it was like very patriarchal. And then after that, the next generation, we're already starting to like talk about a different paradigm. So what I carry within me is a certain kind of, you know, imprint, um, energetic imprint that shapes my awareness and my consciousness that is my teacher that's what I have to learn from in order to heal myself and it's only by healing myself that I can heal the world Mm -hmm. because I really know that we are all healers all of us every single one but we are healers of ourselves and we are the universe and we are all one and we're all connected and sometimes we mean so well and we get all excited and it's like, I'm going to go heal the world and I'm going to help people. And, you know, I'm not saying that's not valid. It's super valid. But if you don't do the world, the work inside your core, nothing that you do on the outside is going to work or it's going to be like real because like that's how I feel sometimes. That's why I got sent back to school because I felt like a super fraud. You know, I'm like, how can you freaking teach people anything where you're not walking the talk? And I'm like ever humbled, you know, and like, oh, crap. Like, you know, I'm like trying to inspire people to do better and look at you. You like started a day one more time where you forgot your supplements. You had an argument with your boyfriend and like you didn't love yourself because you put him first and focus all your attention on him instead of yourself. And, like, you're trying to fix yourself by loving him. Like, hello, dude. Like, wake up. Who are you trying to, like, say anything to? Like, look at yourself. And so I, you know, I I see how this is, like, a pattern for me. And it's a pattern for a lot of different women. So another thing is, like, we have lost this deep sisterhood that... I feel like 
it's part of the magic of being women. We don't have, you know, men have a whole different magic and it's their own, but we as women, and I, I, there is this book, The Female Brain, I strongly recommend it. I forgot the author, you can probably link it somewhere. Yeah. But it's so awesome. And she's still a doctor and it's still like, you know, physiology is a little restrictive, but it's still really valid in the way that as women, we network and we need relationships and we are kind of, you know, it's important for us to be able to provide for everybody and like to, you know, provide for the babies and so that we can raise the babies together and make, you know, a happy village. And so everybody is like not lacking. And so this kind of web of connection that we carry from our evolution as women, you know, we are the net that holds society together and we have lost that. Mm -hmm. And so, I really, yeah. Do you think that growing up in the patriarchal paradigm is what's made us lose that sense of sisterhood? Or where do you think that's rooted in? Like, why have we lost that? Because I think a lot of us feel it. People talk about women supporting women, and there are some women who support women, but we've lost this sense of, like, togetherness, I feel like, as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know... It's you can always just boil down everything to kind of two things and then to one because everything boils down to fear or love. Mm. All our choices are based in fear or love. And then and the real when you really see the the whole, there is only love. And fear is just like a duality element. We are born into duality because we are learning from that duality, you know. So fear is our teacher. Pain is our teacher, you know, so we can self-reflect on our awareness and evolve into like a higher vibration, frequency, consciousness, awareness. But I think that that is like another chicken or the egg situation where like fear started at some point. And I guess we carry the evolutionary fear of survival of our species you know, like poor little naked humans like chased by tigers and like, you know, crocodiles, anacondas, you name it. Oh my god, yeah. So we carry that with us, but is there been a moment in our evolution where we have taken a turn and we chose fear instead of love? No, I think that we are here to remember love and we have we are born into fear as a species so we can reunite back to source which is love and so we did it to each other like you know men did it to women women did it to men and now it's like being that kind of vicious cycle that spirals down where like we come from fear in our relationships so they are scared of us and we are scared of them so you know when you're scared of something you tend to objectify them and that makes them safer And so that's what we do to each other. Very true. So, okay, so what do we do from here then? So how does somebody work work through this? You start in the first step is always taking personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And in like even just the willingness to say, I stop looking outside for all my problems, all my woe, like, I am not a victim. 
I'm not ever a victim. So the evolution that we are experiencing now as a species, as consciousness, it's really out of this victim state Mm -hmm. into an empowered state. Because the opposite of victim is I have my personal power of my choices, my knowledge, and my awareness. Mm -hmm. So the moment that I regain that power from giving it away, it's like, you did this to me, she did that to me, my mom did that to me. No. This is all, there are teachers and they are here to reflect us so that we can look inside to the very seed of all patterns, all dysfunction, all fear, you know, and just refine, find inside ourselves where we choose love. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, we need a lot of support, a lot of tools and a lot of help. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because I believe that that's why there are so so many gut issues I see just energetically because like when you're you know your your solar plexus chakra is connected with your digestive um, system and that's also connected with your sense of self-empowerment and like personal responsibility and when people identify as a victim which so many of us do it's what why is this happening to me why is this happening to me they did this to me and it's not happening to you it's happening for you but also just like we've lost that sense of like personal responsibility and people who have really taken on that victim role always always have got issues they always have got issues and i really believe it's directly connected to the, like that sacral uh, or that solar plexus chakra connection yeah, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant connection, <clears throat> and thank you for bringing it to my awareness. Because yeah, I it's hundred percent on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting how it's all it's all connected, and I love all the deeper work you're doing. And we've been like we were just talking about this before. I feel like a lot of people in the space are realizing that nutrition is just like one first step, but really to get the full healing, we're gonna have to work on a much deeper level with a lot of what's what's going on underneath. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like the tip of the iceberg, but it's beautiful because like, I say to my patients, we need to start with the physiology. And like I tell them, the physiology is one foot and then the mindset and emotions is the other foot. Mm-hmm. And then we make one step and one step, one step, one step. And then, so we go forward and we can... You know, because I also feel like we really need to ground these, like, higher frequencies. Like, taking responsibility is hard, mm-hmm. all right? Let's just talk plain language, not woo-woo, fluffy, hippie, you know, spiritual language. Like, when you are in a conversation with somebody and they're, you know, pointing out, like, hey, you just say this really negative statement. And you're just like, oh, shit. And the first thing you want to do is defend yourself right it's like just because blah blah so just taking a breath and being like self-reflect and be like oh yeah i said something negative i take responsibility for that it came from my pain Mm -hmm. so i can see where it came from inside of me but i you know maybe it came out as a little dart and it did kind of want to sting you from the back of my head but that's because it's from my pain so I take responsibility for my pain. And it's just so uncomfortable in that moment where you're like, 
you're like revert to this little three-year-old kid that's just like in a corner and like, no, I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> it's very true, but this is how a lot of people communicate now, back and forth. It's just out of a place of pain and fear, and it is, you know, it's like no one in the conversation is taking responsibility, and it is just darts being thrown back and forth. And mm-hmm. in a funny way, it's like, the best way you can throw someone off their feet is by taking responsibility because that will cause, when you take responsibility, that causes the person, other person in the conversation to also self-reflect and be like, oh, shit, what do I, what do I need to take responsibility for, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that's for me, that's the start. That's how you start on this journey. It's like, okay, you know, (laughs) like, let's have a look what's in there and, you know, yeah. Start walking. <laughs> Start walking. I love it. Well, I think this is, I mean, such a big conversation. I know we'll both continue this in our own way. So I'm really excited to hear more from you as I know you're always doing more work, more projects. Um, and I think that this work is going to be so life-changing for a lot of women. So very excited to see all the things you do in the future. But in the meantime... I want you to tell everyone where they can get more from you and where they can connect with you. Cool. Thank you, Christina. So I have a page for the podcast specifically, so it's easy to find. And because we always do start with the physiology and, you know, I specialize in hormones. So I created a little offer and a little like gift for your listeners. So it's thenourishedcaveman.com forward slash podcast. So you can find my page there with my info. There is a little video about me and, you know, that kind of stuff. And also I have a download about um, hormone tests that you can ask for your doctor or, you know, if you need to work with your nutritionist, if you want to work with me, whoever, but at least get informed of what's possible and what are the right tests to ask when you start looking at your hormones. I think that's a good step and it doesn't have to be hormones. It can be thyroid, female hormones, even just full blood work, even a gut map (laughs) talking about gut. But um, yeah, that's kind of specific to hormones. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, that's so it's on the Nourish Caveman and um, it kind of leads you to like my different offerings and what I'm doing these days. And the the deeper work comes with my work. So any client that I work with, I'm going to sneak it in there at this point until I create, I'm starting to create the foundations for its own entity, but it's going to take a minute. So for now, the nourishcaveman.com and slash podcast, that's where I would say it's the easiest way to start. Okay, amazing. And your books all can be found where? Um, my book, The Keto Paleo Kitchen, is on Amazon, and um, I have the big book of big book of fat bombs. That's my second book. That's also on Amazon, and then my first book was a paleo book. Is like the ultimate paleo book, and um, that's also on Amazon. So all on Amazon. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again, Vivica. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. It was awesome. We did it. Finally. <laughs> Huge thank you to Vivica for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her knowledge. If you want more from her, 
can go to thenourishedcaveman.com and also find her on Instagram at thenourishedcaveman. You can find all of her books on Amazon. If you're not already, make sure you are in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, to connect with other listeners. And make sure you leave a rating and review on iTunes if you haven't already. I would so appreciate that. I also love it when you guys screenshot some of your favorite episodes and tag me and the guests. I know they appreciate that as well. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you let Vivica know. Don't forget to snag your ticket for the Wellness Realness Retreat. It's going to be a blast this July here in San Diego. I cannot wait to meet you. It's so much fun chatting in real life. It's like, imagine if you could talk back to me on this podcast. That can happen if you come to the retreat. So I'm excited to see you there. All right. I hope you have an incredible rest of your day. And I will chat with you again next time. Bye.